Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. The stories of women doing great things with their lives just keep on coming. This one is about a young American woman raised in Tokyo who is devoted to a nonprofit based in Africa called Community. She is an architect by day, but at the core of her being is sharing what she knows, including her skills and her talents for the greater good. And it's more than getting her hands dirty every once in a while. It's a lifelong commitment. Africa is where her heart is. She fell in love with the continent at only 16 during her first visit there. Years later, it is where her compass always takes her. Her name is Sarah Gachuski, and this is her story. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's really nice to have you here. Let's jump right in. Tell me, what is the mission of Community so we can all get to know it? Community is a nonprofit organization that partners with East African communities to develop sustainable solutions to poverty, which is quite a mouthful. But it is an organization that focuses on three main parts. We focus on access to basic needs, education, and then we have our sustainability aspect, which is actually more focused on sustainable income opportunities rather than the green movement, if you will. There are so many charities on the ground in Africa. Why this one? I get the idea that it's different because it's a long-term solution, not a Band-Aid fix. I have volunteered in the past with many different organizations, but when I discovered community, I realized that they really care about finding the right solution in partnership with the communities. Community does not just offer clean water or a greenhouse to a community that wants it. We go in, we meet with the local leaders, we talk with community members, we see what challenges they're facing and what may be a viable solution. And every community is different. I really appreciate how the organization, like you said, it's, it's not a one-size-fit-all solution. I really appreciate the involvement that it has with our local leaders and local community members. That's really important because that's the only way a solution is successful, is if it empowers the community to feel involved and to feel engaged. It's amazing to see what the results are and then where it goes in the future. You know, you're talking about community and the continent of Africa is so vast and there are so many differences, not just in geography, but also in culture. Sarah, can you tell me where you've been within the continent? And I'm sure you've got lots of stories to tell about the people and the places there. My first visit was to Namibia. When I was 16, I did a four week long backpacking and volunteer trip there. It was beautiful. The landscape was a lot more arid, more desert-like. We were mainly in the middle of nowhere, so lots of wildlife. Later on, I went to Ghana, and I was in Accra, which is the capital of Ghana, a more urban setting, but still lacking a lot of the infrastructure that we take for granted in the U.S., unpaved roads, limited water supply, and, and things like that. Recently, last fall, I was honored to be asked to go with the community on our annual East Africa trip. I was in Kenya for about 10 days 
where we were meeting with the community members that we're working with, checking in on our projects and seeing what new projects may be coming down the road. Must be so exciting to actually be there on the ground and then to see some of the work that you might be spearheading from the United States actually happening on the ground. You had told me once when we met that there's a basic difference between giving with excess and giving when there's a need. Can you talk a little bit about that and African culture? That was something that I learned from the executive director, Caitlin Tenharmsoul. She had mentioned it in specific to Kenyan culture, but I, I think it can be applied to other cultures as well. The big difference between in the U.S. And, and Kenyan culture is that we give when we have excess. In Kenyan culture, they give when there is a need. If someone is sick in the village, everyone gathers together and brings whatever they can to help support that community member, whether it's water or food or shelter, whether or not they have extra. In the U.S., we seem to really only be generous and support each other when we have that excess. So it's definitely an interesting dynamic. It's something that when I was in Kenya, it was just so amazing to be welcomed into the communities, welcomed into their homes, knowing that they're giving us potentially their last batch of tea or their last food for the day. But because we were their guests, they were honoring us and respecting us and welcoming us, which is something that may or may not you know, have happened in the U.S. Tell me a little bit about some of the projects that you have worked on for community. I've been involved in kind of a bunch of projects with community. I kind of dabble in everything. But one of the main projects really stands out for me was providing clean water for the Olamunya community. I had helped with fundraising efforts last year in Chicago for our first big fundraiser in this city. This community is based out of Philly, and we had just kind of transitioned our location, and we we're all very nervous to see how it would go. It was mind-blowing to see what we could accomplish at the fundraiser. And there, I actually specifically worked at the table that was trying to get volunteers and, and donors to give to the Alamuni community and to their water project. It was one of the biggest ticket items. It's very expensive with all the parts and pieces that go with it, but it was one of the projects that would have the most impact. Over the course of the night, I was telling the same kind of facts and how they walk 10 miles each way, and it's generally to get dirty water. It's not even clean water, and just the rates of the children under five, the morbidity rate, just what they could do with the clean water. So I was just kind of telling the story and showing the pictures and trying to get people to donate. When I was in Kenya in September, we were actually there the first day that they turned on the clean water, which was so powerful. Just to, you know, see the relief in the women's eyes, knowing that they wouldn't have to walk 10 miles anymore and knowing that they wouldn't have to see their babies die. And then just seeing them start to dream and hope of now what they could do with the clean water. They started immediately talking about, you know, the crops that they could grow and what they could sell at the market now. That was 
definitely one of the most powerful projects that I've been involved in. And I, you know, it is because I was given the opportunity to witness that firsthand. I like to share that story with others because it was so powerful to see what we take for granted, how impactful that could be. This work matters so deeply to you, Sarah. I could hear it in your voice when you talked about when they turned that faucet on and the clean water came out. It's changed you, hasn't it? Has it changed your perspective on life in general? It was hard coming back from the trip. And a lot of people asked me, oh, do you now feel guilty because we have clean water and they don't? Do you feel guilty that we have all these luxuries and they don't? And it's, it's really not a sense of guilt because I, I do know that we're all born in different situations. I shouldn't feel guilty for what I've been given, but I should also continue to do something about it. You know, on top of my full-time job during the day as an architect, (laughs) at night, on the weekends, I'm constantly in contact with the executive director on updates. I help manage our marketing and social media efforts to try and get more engagement and more donations and just trying to share that story. It has changed my perspective and it also, it does provide me, I think, a sense of purpose that I really appreciate. And I know that I'm in it for the long run with this organization. Let's talk a little bit about you and architecture. What led you to the field and what do you love most about it? I always loved math and science when I was a kid, but I also loved art and I loved being creative. When I was in school, architecture started to become a path that I felt like I could balance both of those passions. Yeah, I was always building things, houses, and I remember when I was little, I first St. Patrick's Day, instead of trying to trap the leprechaun that would visit, I decided to build a house that was so nice that he wouldn't want to leave. <laughs> That's when you know you're on to something, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was always doing things like that. I have always known that I wanted to follow a career that allowed me the opportunity to provide positive impact in the world. Architecture has a huge impact on the built environment. More recently, I've focused a little bit more on interior architecture, where most of us spend 90% of our days inside in a building. I really enjoy being able to provide a positive environment, a healthy environment for people. I continue to love architecture and believe in its power. And it's, it's an honor to be part of, you know, creating something for others. I do believe, Sarah, that our childhood shapes and forms us. And you've had a really interesting one. Can you talk about what it was like to grow up in Tokyo? I do believe that it, it truly did shape me and brought me to where I am today. I went to an international school when I was in Tokyo, which represented over 70 different countries. Oftentimes, you know, I was the only American in the class. I think that really exposed me to so many different cultures and traditions and just really respecting differences and similarities at the same time. So I've always loved learning about other cultures, other languages. I loved having friends from all over. And that whole experience just was so unique 
and I think has led me down this path of being involved in an international nonprofit versus, I think, a little more locally based. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers, and the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak, and that's in their home. We come to you, we work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you, and also we can test better that way, because if you have a printing problem or whatever, and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but it might not work in your home. So this way we know for sure everything is working the way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. It takes teamwork to put a weekly series like this together. I am so grateful to Jordan Rich and Ken Carberry for giving the story behind her success a home at Chart Productions. And to Dan Tebow, our editor from Fast Twitch Media. JC Valeris at Platinum Circle Media who handles our social media marketing, and so much more. Thank you all for making me look so good. Tell me a little bit about your family life. What was the message in your house when you were growing up? Life and what matters, work ethic, that kind of thing. Both my parents have always worked full times. They have always set a very high standard and an example of a strong work ethic. They always taught us you work hard and you'll be rewarded for that. Also, I remember when I would receive my allowance, it was broken out into thirds. One third I could spend, one third I could save, one third was to go towards something else, whether it's a different organization or donating to somewhere. Even in the smallest things, my parents helped me realize that we were in a very fortunate situation. Both my parents worked very hard to get where they are today, but they also taught us that because of that, we now need to give back, help out. We need to share what we've been given with others. That's something both my parents have expressed strongly and continue to do so today. My mom does a million million and one things, and a lot of it is involvement in nonprofits and local organizations. And then my dad is someone who, you know, is always willing to take people under his wing and mentor. It's something that I really admire from him. That's taught me because I really enjoy that as well. I enjoy mentoring and appreciate being mentored as well. So I'm always looking for that. Speaking of looking for things, we all need role models and mentors. As you have been growing up, who is your role model? I would have to say my role model is my mom, which I know a lot of people say, but (laughs) it's very true for me. She always led by example. You know, she worked full time since I was born. On top of that was also just a wonderful mother, always taking care of everyone else. She's one of the most selfless people that you'll ever meet. I always look to her to set that example for me on how to be selfless, appreciate others, how to love others, and then also how to give back. She's always set that example, which I think is what has translated into my work with community. She set that stage for me very early on. But recently, someone who I think is a more direct role model 
is the executive director of community. She also was an architect by trade and then transitioned to become the executive director and work full-time for community. I think she just has a great leadership style and amazing passion for the organization. She's someone, if you talk to her about the organization, you'll want to get involved right away. The stories, the people that she talks about, the impact that we can create. She also is just really supportive. She cares about all of our volunteers, all of our community members, all of our local leaders. Her sense of caring and listening and showing that empathy, I think, is something that I really admire. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I think that's more my math and science side. You know, I do a lot of research. I evaluate what my options are in most situations very thoroughly. I'm always very analytical about things. So I would analyze it, see what other paths may be an option or who could help me. A lot of times I do reach out to others for advice or for help. So I think that's something that's really important that we're not in this alone, that we always have that support and to reach out in moments of of an obstacle or a challenge, because usually talking through that with someone else or asking for their assistance will get you through that obstacle. Speaking of getting some advice from people, what have you learned from African women? And can you share their wisdom with some of our listeners? I've learned that I think from the girls, there, how lucky we are in the U.S. to take education for females for granted. A lot of the communities there still view girls as brides, and that's pretty much it. What can their father get for them if they get married off? And it's mainly the boys who are the ones who are getting educated. So when I was talking with them to hear their passion for education and knowing that they will take their education and go back to the community and make it better. They will take their education and get a job so that they can support their family. It just reminds me of how lucky we are in the U.S. And then I also learned a lot from the women about just their strength. They go through so much. They still persevere through all of it and love their families and believe that there is a better future for their children. So I think that was something that I learned from them was just to always persevere through no matter what challenges life throws your way. If you'd like to support Community or find out more about their incredible work, we wanted to give you the website. It is communitynow.org. Last question for you, Sarah. At this moment in your life, what does success mean to you? Success for me is a combination of two things. One, I think it means pure joy and happiness, which can come in so many different ways. And then two, no regrets. I think that's just something that I use in a lot of my decision making is if I choose this path? Will I regret doing that? If if I choose this, will I regret not doing that? And I truly believe that success is leading that life that, you know, at the end of it all, we will not feel like we missed out on something or wish we had done something. So that's how I view success is if I don't have those regrets. Sarah Gachuski, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your incredible story 
and your allegiance to such a great nonprofit, CommunityNow.org. Thank you for being our guest this week on the story behind her success. Thank you so much, Candy. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?